There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around the front. Score. Tamu Solani with the steal. Perry in the fans. One one. Score. Off the floor. Oh, 
So, Connor McDavid is good. <laughs> yeah, you just finding that out? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the hard way. Uh, yeah. If you're catching us now, uh, on the, I guess, well, this would be the Wednesday show. We're actually on time on Wednesday. Uh, the Ducks played two games this week. <laughs> we actually had some games to talk about this time. And uh, what we kind of feared came true in game number one. Uh, Connor McDavid took over, and the Ducks ended up losing 6-2 to the Edmonton Oilers. Mm. And uh, I guess Leon Dreisettle had uh, had a hand in there too, but uh, not uh, not a fun game for the Ducks, and, and they followed that up with a 4-3 overtime loss to the Red Wings too just to, to kind of wrap a bow on everything. Yeah, when Zach Cassian's putting in uh, pucks, you, you know you've you've hit a, a low point in the season. So three point night for Zach Cassian. <coughs> yeah, elite goal scorer Zach, Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian, how many points? How many points that guy has now? That's not too bad. I think he scored uh, the following night too. Uh, he's uh, we, we propelled him into greatness. That's what we well, do here. I mean, we... uh, you're playing with uh, with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. That uh, I believe he also gets power play time there, which is just absolutely mental that he gets to play on the power play. But either way, uh, not a great couple of games for the Ducks because the, the Oilers game that was always going to be a tough one. The Oilers are playing some great hockey right now, and yeah. uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle are, are two the I guess you could say the two best players in the league right now, the, the way they're playing, the way they're putting up points. So that was always going to be a tough one, especially we thought Lindholm was going to be in that game. And then, you know, the news comes out that he has a lower body injury and he misses out on that game. And it was a, a mix of uh, Holzer and Larson and uh, Fowler and Delzato that were matched against uh, Connor McDavid, which uh, neither of them succeeded in that game, which is very difficult. And <laughs> you would think the only one you would ever maybe want to see against Connor McDavid is is Cam Fowler. And uh, you know, there was one goal. <laughs> I think it was Connor McDavid's first goal, the short side one. I think yeah. Gibby uh, Fowler did a good job of tracking Connor McDavid, pushed him to the outside. Uh, the shot yeah. still ended up beating John Gibson. So, so Fowler did okay. Did as much as mm-hmm. he could, but you never want to have to see Larson and Holzer, the that pairing, the way they've struggled this year, get put against Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, and and same goes for for Michael Delzato. So that that was tough, not having, I guess, Gooley or Lindholm in that game to to kind of throw some reliable options against a player like McDavid. Yeah, I, I guess as reliable as you can call it, because um, yeah, you're you're asking everybody else to literally shut down the top two players in the NHL and our top player is an offensive guy. He's not really strong defensively and all the other guys who might have their, I guess they're in the repertoire to play more defensive and offensive aren't at that level. So we're asking five and six defensemen to play one and two and oh yeah, stop the top two best players in the league arguably right now. So it it was a tall order to ask and that's why I'm not too surprised that uh, we maybe struggled a little bit uh, throw in there that we had about four days off in between games. Uh, That's the first for us and then Gibby really just didn't look good. Uh, It was just an off game and that will happen from time to time. So that's a perfect mixture to to get blown out (laughs) and that's what happened. Yeah, that's a tough one, and we kind of—I don't want to say we—I don't—I didn't expect a six-two loss to the Oilers, but you expected it to be a difficult game to shut down Connor McDavid. But then you go in against the Detroit Red Wings, the way they're playing this year, 
you kind of you didn't want to say this was a must win game or a game that they should easily win but it was it, it, it was a game that you know especially after getting embarrassed by the others you should come into this game it's still at home yeah, you've you've got a you know a, a day off between uh, that Oilers loss. It, it should have been a game that the Ducks showed up for, and and, and you know they get two goals uh, early on in the second period that felt like things were turning around for them after a pretty solid first. They get you know goals, two goals in the first forty nine seconds of uh, of play in the second period, both that were a little bit controversial and, and kind of got reviewed a little bit, but they end up counting. Josh Maher gets his first of the season. Uh, but from there on, it, it you know Detroit took over that game, which you can't you can't have happen. And, and Detroit does have mm-hmm. some weapons, and we mentioned this on the last podcast. Guys like Andreas Athanasiu and Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, Anthony Mantha, and those were the guys that factored in to the Red Wings ended up coming back and winning this game in overtime. Uh, it, it's a tough one because you don't want these types of games to happen. You know, you you want them to be able to go out and beat one of the teams who right now statistically are one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, but the only thing is, uh, you know, it's kind of the, you know, tale of two seasons, you know, three seasons already for Detroit. They started off pretty, pretty good. Uh, I want to say they started off something like like three, one and one. I know that's just to start off the season. They started off decent and then they went one eleven in something. And but they had won the two games prior to this. So they almost kind of were starting to turn it around a little bit. Um, and it kind of felt like both teams, although it different expectations for the seasons they both felt like this is the one that hey we got to win and you could tell that with Getzloff and how pissy he was getting especially with Mantha which is fun to watch but you know you kind of like to see it uh, result in a win and uh, it just kind of felt like another one of those games that got away another you know they had two separate two goal leads that they couldn't hold on to they had a two goal lead against Minnesota kind of a similar team that you know we should be beating but we just couldn't hold the lead and it's kind of that thing where they just they show up for 40 minutes in and out of a game and it tends to kind of bite them in the ass and they end up losing because of the other 20 minutes so yeah, there were definitely positives in that game, and obviously, you know, Silverberg getting on the board again and having his eighth of the season is a positive for the Ducks to see him continue scoring. And then Josh Mahura getting getting his first of the season after getting you know called up, sent back down, and then called back up into the lineup. Uh, it's nice to see him get on the board, and then obviously Brendan Gooley coming back, uh, recalled into the game and having a, a pretty decent game, especially with no Hampus Lindholm. He he's kind of going to be a guy that you're going to lean on. So th- there were some positives in that sense, but allowing Detroit to get back into the game when you're up to nothing and then tying the game late in the third when for some reason Dallas Aikens <laughs> felt like I should put out Kirbinian Holzer and Jakob Larson to defend a three, two lead in the last one minute and 30 of the game on a, on a penalty kill. And, uh, Holzer takes another penalty in the wings and eventually tying the game and, uh, some suspect decisions, but I guess that comes with the territory when, you know, you're pretty thin on the blue line at this point, and your options outside of Larson and Holzer are Delzato and Goodbranson and, uh, you know, Josh Maher and, and Cam Fowler. You can't play Cam Fowler, you know, 40 minutes a night, and, and you can't play especially Josh Mahura uh, that much as well as, as being a younger player. You're not going to play him over 25 minutes a night. So it, it's tough, and, and, you know, Josh has his own adventures sometimes uh, in, in the <laughs> defensive zone. So it, it's... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting choice for sure, and it's a game I think they're going to want back. But the the big thing for that game is I think announced prior to that game or maybe just after the Oilers game 
is that uh, Hampus Lindholm's on the IR. Lower body injury, that's it. That's as vague as we, we got uh, in news in terms of what's going on with Hampus Lindholm. Big loss for the Ducks in these two games. You can definitely see it, uh, you know, especially against the Oilers with Connor McDavid, but a big loss as well uh, in, in the game against Detroit. You know, A little bit offset by the news that uh, Brendan Gooley comes back. But it always seems like this year so far we, we get one back and we lose another. You know, we got uh, a couple guys back, and then Josh Manson went down. You know, and I'm a little upset at myself because I really believe that guy they brought in might actually help us circumvent some of these injuries. And we're right back to where we were last year, missing significant players for a significant amount of times. Kosh has already been out with some mysterious jaw injury that's not a concussion, but he's missed a whole bunch of games. Uh, you know, I mean, at least uh, at this point, you know, some of the bigger players have, have hung in there and haven't gotten injured, but our defense is being decimated. We're picking up guys wherever we can just to try and plug the holes for as long as we can and uh, just – not gonna seem to ever catch a break no matter uh, who we hire to help prevent things it just seems like it's inevitable uh, the workload or whatever happens within a game seems to be a little bit too much so sad one day one day this one year day. we'll get all one these guys day. back healthy <laughs> and we'll have Lindholm and Manson and, and Gooley and Fowler and then we can make the decision on who plays with good Branson on that final pairing, whether it's Larson yeah. or her or Delzato or whoever the Ducks want to throw in there. A uh, couple guys, uh, a couple more roster moves. Uh, Simon Benoit got called up, hasn't played yet. Uh, yeah, you were convinced he was going to play too. I was, and I think a lot of people yeah. were convinced he was going to play. And, and I think at that point, Josh Maher wasn't, I think he got sent back down before he got called back yeah. up. So the assumption mm-hmm. was that, that Benoit was going to play, but then Maher ended up coming up as well and then took his spot, and Benoit was sitting in the press box. Interesting decision to call up Benoit and not have him play in San Diego when, you know, if he's just going to sit in the press box. But hopefully he gets yeah. a game in. I'm sure he likely gets sent back down once Lindholm comes off the IR uh, and or unless they want to send back down Josh Maher or they'll just send both of them back down, to be honest. But... Interesting decision yeah. for him not to get in the lineup. And then Maxime Comtois was sent back down, which also was uh, a bit of an interesting decision based off how things have gone for Max Jones. He did finally score. I believe he scored, was that against the <laughs> Oilers or against the... Yeah, it was against the, it was the Oilers. The Oilers. The Oilers. So he, yeah. he scored his first of the season, which was actually a pretty nice spin move from behind the net and, and a, a top-shelf snipe. So nice yeah. for him to get on the board. But, but Comtois was, I think, outside steel. Yeah. Probably the Ducks' most mm-hmm. impressive rookie. Five points in 12 games, producing at a decent rate for a young player, especially a guy out of all four of them who has the least amount of NHL experience. And he gets sent back down. Yeah, he had some of that tenacity um, that you kind of like to see, or at least a drive to, to get in the puck or to get the puck or get in the play. Uh, kind of make things happen, happen. It's a little easier when he gets off there helping you out as well. But. Uh, you know, I, I'm guessing it's just more of like, hey, you know, you know, this so far, you know, we, we were off to a good start. We really don't want to rock the boat too much, but it seems like we're, we're struggling here and it's not necessarily a reflection on him. It's more or less, hey, it's not really fair to put this on you to be on one of the top lines and to start producing and we're not going to put you on a third and fourth line role 
why don't you go down in San Diego, get that going, get some positive vibes, hopefully out of that, be a little bit more dominant, and that'll help you further along in your career. You don't necessarily need to feel like you have to produce now because you're at the NHL and the team's struggling to score goals. So it might be more of a protection move other than they're disappointed in his production. Yeah, I don't think we have to look into it too much in the sense that this is... I'm a psychologist and I have to. (laughs) <laughs> like I don't, you I don't think it's because Maxine Comtois was playing bad. I don't think that's why he got sent down. I, I think no. they're they're gonna cycle through a couple of these players. And I, Max Jones is already, I believe, he got sent down for like one game, one day, yeah. and then got called Real back quick. up. So <laughs> that could be the same case with Maxine Comtois. Maybe for the next game, he gets called right back up again. We we don't really know. We'll we'll have to wait and see for that. But it, it's they're possible. just gonna have to they're gonna have to build a monorail between Anaheim and yeah. San Diego. They just shuttles them like nonstop because these guys are going they're back they're back again they've been I mean, using it they've been using it this year. they've been they've been economical guys up and down and and it's on, not been it's been short stays josh maher got sent down for a couple days he got called back up we just mentioned max jones was sent down for a day so who knows yeah. how how long maxim comes was actually down in the ahl before he gets called back up and and, and i guess that's the luxury right uh, of having yeah. the ahl team in san diego now and not out in norfolk or somewhere else, right? You've got that luxury where you can bring guys up and down pretty pretty easily and, and send them back down to San Diego whenever you want to get some, some game time down there. So it's nice to see them at least utilizing that, hopefully, to, to the advantage of the players where they can get a little bit more game time instead of sitting in the press box. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I, I'd travel far enough for hockey games just out, out of my own wanting to go play. So, I mean, uh, I can understand maybe going back and forth as long as – you know, explained that way. Cause yeah. I think uh, sometimes if you're just sent down, you think, Oh crap, what am I not doing? Right. And as long as it's like, no, 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 we just, the more playing time you kind of get, get your feel for it, come back. Maybe there's something different. Hey, it worked with Troy Terry. So, yeah, and I think with Dallas Aikens in there, I'm sure that communication <laughs> is there, right? Maybe that's yeah. not the case if Randy Carlisle is still here. But I think, I think uh, with uh, Dallas Aikens, I'm sure that communication is there. Be like, hey, we're not sending you down because it's a negative. You know, we, we've got a certain amount of guys in this roster, and we'd rather have you down there playing than sitting in the press box. And, you know, come to on Jones have both been scratched at times this year. But I'm sure if there's a goals game going on, you'd rather have him down there playing rather than sitting in the press box. So if they planned already to have Comtois sat out for the next game coming up, that it's better to send him down to San Diego, play a game or two, whatever, how many games the schedule is for San Diego at that time, rather than watching the game, you know, from the press box. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, last thing on lineups, we kind of briefly, briefly touched on it. Brendan Gooley got recalled. How mm-hmm. important is it? to the Ducks right now that he can play and plays at a high level. Cause he had four points, I think in three games or four and four down with San yeah. Diego when he was down there. So obviously, you know, he needed to be up here, but we, and we saw that, in, you know, the struggles the Ducks had in uh, against Edmonton with no Lindholm and no Gooley. And uh, you know, he looked pretty good in the game against Detroit. How important is he to this roster right now, especially with uh, Harris Lindholm out? Yeah. I, you know, fairly important. I would say game changer if he's in or out. I think the 
biggest asset besides, you know, the game that he can bring is maybe just a little bit of stability, knowing that he was going to be a top four at the start of the season, just to at least have your three and four defensemen there while you're one and two or, or try to get back into the lineup kind of helps versus having, all right, we don't have one, we don't have two, we got three, but four is out. And now we're looking at five and six to fill all the rest of the holes. Love so, that. I mean, yeah, I know, right? A lot of numbers. Um, but, yeah, so so I feel like, you know, his game isn't going to change much. He's probably going to get, obviously, a little bit more responsibility and ice time. But I think they just want him to do what he can do or what they expect him to do and not necessarily do too much more. Um, so right now, like I said, we're, we're plugging holes here. We're just trying to keep the thing afloat long enough for – you know, the the one-two guys to come back and uh, really kind of solidify that defensive side of things. But, I mean, it, it's important when your D-core uh, D is decimated the way it is right now. So Yeah. Well, one thing we talked about, and maybe Brendan Gooley factors into this a little bit uh, on the last show, was the Ducks' power play and how bad it was. And, of course, uh, this has now become a topic for everybody to talk about, which is, yeah. is fair. It, it, the Ducks' power play has been horrible this year. But I think uh, – First wants to bring an article where the point and they brought out an analytical view of, of how the Ducks power play can be fixed and why it's so bad. And, and then I believe uh, the same same day, uh, Eric Stevens for the, at the Athletic brings out an article on the Ducks power play. And then I believe there was two more that got sprinkled in there at some point. So it was a hot topic uh, over the last little you know few days here. The Ducks power play has been but. 0 for 5 on the power play against, I believe, uh, the Oilers when this uh, article is written. And uh, 30th in the NHL, they went up against the uh, league worst penalty kill for the Detroit Red Wings. Couldn't solve that either. Uh, at <laughs> the time of this article was written, they were clicking at 8.5%. They don't have the worst power play somehow because the Senators are somehow worse than the Ducks are on the power play at this point. <laughs> And to, to add salt to the wound, the Ducks also have the most inefficient uh, unit in the entire league. With uh, Fowler, yeah. Silverberg, Raquel, Terry, and Henrique, that unit for the Ducks has played a total of 21-17 of power play time and have scored zero goals. Nobody is worse than that. Yeah, and by like a long shot, too, for is, is how many minutes they've played without a goal. Yep. Um, Five more minutes than the next worst unit, which surprisingly is Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, Patrick Laine, and Neil Pionk. Yeah, um, yeah. who who really would have thought uh, us going in as the second worst uh, power play against the worst penalty kill, and they, they're the Rubik's Cube we couldn't figure out. But it's – there's <sighs> – we haven't had a good power play since the Walrus was running the show. I think Bring that's back, a not, Bring that, back. I, the I've been saying that powers. since he left. Um, he, he I had don't something know he, going on there. It was the it was the best power play. It was lethal. Um, they they brought him in specifically to do that, and then I think at that point he was possibly in line if Bruce Boudreaux didn't work out to be the next coach, and they decided to go with Randy Carlyle, let uh, the Walrus walk. Um, but yeah, we've had last season with the head coach, but you know the assistant coach is in charge of the power play. He's still here, and this the power play is still ineffectual, and it's to the detriment. I mean, how many goals do you kind of maybe add in there if you sprinkle in five, maybe six more goals? How many more of those are wins, especially against you know teams or games where Gibson and Miller are only giving up two, uh, one or two goals, and we still lose. So I mean, sprinkle some of those goals in there, and we start looking at a much better record, maybe a little bit more confidence and building on it. 
Um, they've got a lot of different things that they need to work on. Um, I'm not, this is my personal opinion, I don't think Terry really belongs on the number one power play, that power play unit. I'd much rather have Getzloff in there to at least help facilitate passes a little bit better. Um, when you have Raquel and Silverberg there that can that can snipe, uh, I just don't feel that there's anybody there that can really set them up in an appropriate way. And I also feel they don't have any net front presence. Uh, they don't have Perry. They don't have Kessler. It's Richie, and he's kind of there. If he's not taking penalties or almost doing goalie interference, it's just there's a lot to be desired on all ends of the power play. Yeah, there's no structure, I think, in, in the way they set up. And, and the point in this article, it's a great article if you want to check it out, uh, that they break it down into three reasons why the Ducks' power play is, is so bad. That's and, it? And, and Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's it's honestly you know, three pretty simplistic reasons, and, and you can see this while watching it. Uh, the first one is shot volume in general, and the Ducks just don't get enough shots on net. If you look at their top power play unit, uh, you know they've kind of split time this year, but uh, the one that we mentioned before, Fowler, Henrique, Raquel, Terry, and Silverberg, they put 16 shots on goal in just 20 over 21 minutes together, which works out to they did to about 15 shots per 20 minutes ice time. That's 25th out of the 28 power play units that have played a minimum of 28 uh, 28 minutes together. So near the bottom in, in terms of, of shot generation on that unit, uh, they put into some context here that the top power play unit, which is of course the Boston Bruins uh, power play one, yeah. they average just over 24 shots on goal per 20 minutes. So that's uh, eight, no, nine, nine more shots per 20 than what the Ducks do. So that, that's a huge difference right there. And, and mm-hmm. then they go into to say as well for the next topic after this shot quality comes in, in, into play as well. But the Ducks just don't get enough of their shots on net either. They attempt 35 shots on net and only 16 have reached the goalie. That kind of screams to me perimeter shots, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're taking 35 shot attempts and only 16 are reaching the goalie, that means a fair few of them are hitting something on the way to the net or are missing the net. And likely yeah, those are from areas where there's enough distance between the shot and the goaltender that something like that can happen. So they're not coming from prime scoring uh, scoring areas and they're just not shooting the puck enough. Yeah, and I think it even says in that article too, they have like a, one of the least amount of um, shots from the inside slot where you score a majority of those goals anyways they're just they're not even getting passes really there so i mean when they're doing a a one you know a one three and then one uh type of power play i mean there's there's kind of two guys that are in the middle area but most of these plays are happening with the other three guys are on the outside it's either passing around and giving up you know good looks or good passes I would just say if it's not working and you got it on the perimeter and those pass lanes just aren't there, shoot it at the goalie's pads. Don't try and snipe it. Don't try and go high. Don't wait for a perfect screen or some other thing. Just throw it in the pads and then crash. Do as best you can because if you can't get passes through, the least you can do is shoot it, make all the penalty killer's heads turn back around to try and locate the puck. If you're just sitting there kind of passing around, they just can kind of keep an eye on you and it's not really dangerous. Make them turn around, turn their heads around, and you might create some confusion in the offensive zone if you get set up. Well, if you've noticed that the Ducks are shooting the puck a lot from the outside in the, in the point, you're, you're not alone, and, and that's been confounded by their research here. The Ducks, like I said, have 35 shot attempts from that top power play unit. Only two of them have come from the inner slot. Three of them, The third one is a little bit close. It's from just near the bottom of the right circle. So I guess you could say three are in prime scoring chances, but two only from the, in, the inner slot, which is not great. 
Uh, a majority of them come from the center of, of the ice near the blue line, which is where the, the usually if it's Cam Fowler in this instance is set up and taking those shots, or if they rotate out, a lot of shots are coming from there. And then the other two primaries are from right in the middle of the circle. Neither of those are really prime scoring areas when you look at you know, normal power plays. I guess you could say Ovechkin sets up in the in the circle, but that's a, in, a you know a certain circumstance that works for a player of his caliber. And the Ducks are yes, they're getting shots from that area, but they're not one timers and it's set up with a cross crease pass. They're usually just shots that end up saying, "Hey, we got to get a shot in net here to to try mm-hmm. and generate something," and it usually gets covered up by the goalie or in this case hits something. And why is this a problem? Because 43% of all power play goals this year come from the inner slot. When you get two chances per 20 minutes from that area, your power play is going to stink. And and mm-hmm. the Ducks just aren't getting enough quality chances from that area. A lot of their shots are coming from the perimeter, which we saw against the Oilers. We saw against Detroit. We've really seen for most of the season. The Ducks just don't really attempt passes into that area either, which is what the third point of this article gets to is their puck movement is generally in the perimeter as well. And they average just over 0.5 passes to the slot per minute, which again, comparing to the Bruins power play, they get about two per minute uh, inner slot passes. So not only are the Ducks not getting enough chances from there, they're not even really passing the puck into that area to try and get chances. Yeah, and like I said, if, if if you're not willing to do that or you don't see a lane to do that, my theory is then just put it on the goalie's pads because generally there's going to be a rebound if it's in the pads. And generally, if you're, coming, you're shooting it from an angle, that rebound doesn't go to a corner. If you're shooting straight on, it's easy for a goalie to deflect it to a side, which tends to go to the corners and isn't as dangerous. If you're at an angle, if you shoot it far side, that goalie is trying to make that stop, and that puck tends to shoot out far more into the middle or to the opposite side, but away from the goal versus towards the corner. So I'm saying if if that's not happening, simplify it, throw it in the pads, and maybe there's a rebound there if we get a little bit more tenacious inside of there, then you start seeing more of these shots happening from the slot. They don't have to be initial shots. They could be rebound shots, and that's where havoc is created. And so I'd I'd say if you're, you're trying to look for that beautiful eight pass, roof it type goal, Work on this first. Get this down, and then all of a sudden they'll start leaving you alone. They start protecting the middle, and then the outside area gets a little bit more open. I think they, they're doing that so much that they're leaving everything where you should be able to score uh, you know, off the table at that point. Well, the, the Ducks have quality passers, and, and obviously Ryan Getzlaff and Troy Terry and Sam Steele, they have guys who can set up the pass to the inner slot. I think that should be a focus for them going forward is trying to get that. They're not easy passes to make, but when you're not even really attempting more than half an inner, uh, inner pass slot per minute, so you may be getting you know one pass to the inner slot on each power play you get if you go the full two minutes. That's you're not going to get that many chances, uh, prime chances where, like we mentioned, forty three percent of all power play goals are scored from. Like that is an area where the Ducks really aren't trying to get anything from, and and they are working primarily from the perimeter, and that can work. You know, look at the Sharks' power play for for the last five years leading up to this year, and when uh, Joe Pavelski was there, they feasted on the high tip and deflection yeah. plays. But the problem is the Ducks are getting these perimeter shots. They don't have one deflection shot on net on the power play and they have just one rebound scoring chance that top unit has so they're shooting from the perimeter nobody's deflecting the puck or nobody's in position to deflect the puck and then nobody's in position to to get a rebound chance as well so 
at that point <laughs> you're, you're you're shooting from the 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 perimeter but you're not really putting yourself in a position to capitalize on those chances by having guys in front of the net like you mentioned having a net front presence if you're going to be a perimeter shooting team you need to have somebody who's there for the tip somebody who's there for the rebound and they're not doing that so they are committing to this perimeter game but not trying to use it efficiently and then they're also not even trying to switch it up and, and, and try and score from these prime scoring areas. So it's, it's, it's a tough go to look at what the Ducks are trying to do. And I think that kind of goes back to what we said. They don't really have a structure on the power play. It almost looks like they're just trying to go with the flow and, and kind of wing it on the fly. And uh, I don't know if, if power play is kind of taking a back seat to just trying to figure out their, their new system in general. But uh, it, it, it seems like they need a new approach. And whether yeah, that comes... I feel... Okay. I was just saying, you know, you, you kind of touched on a little bit, you know, um, I, I think they they mimic what other teams are doing, but they don't have the same skill set. So when you say a San Jose that's, that's you know, blasting shots from the point, that's because they got a Brett Burns. We don't have a Brett Burns. Cam Fowler is, yeah. I mean, if you want to say that's a close. Either, a we don't have who... someone deflecting in front, yeah. you know, that's got the eye-hand uh, coordination. That works for that team specifically. And then you look at your Washingtons or your Bostons, they got threats to score anywhere and everywhere in any way. The Ducks don't have that, even though they have some passing ability. That's really in my opinion, Ryan Getzloff. I mean, other than that, and if that's all they have to really kind of worry about, I'm talking about the penalty killers, that's kind of easy to kind of let everyone else, as long as we know this guy can't get that pass through or they throw it to a point where it's an ineffectual uh, shot from there and no one's going to deflect. At this point, what the Ducks do have, and I think they should do a power play that's a little bit built closer to their strength, they've got guys with quick hands. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, darty players guys can kind of in and out grab the puck kind of throw it in the net and do that and that's once again i'm gonna build on again shoot it at the net just get a rebound somewhere in there where you can dive in and out and there's some confusion with the penalty killers because you set up that way and you don't have the skill set for it you're easier to defend and even the worst team in the league can stop you from scoring a power play goal yeah, Brett brought up a good point in our chat. He said you have to make them fear the inside if you want to open up passing lanes on the outside. And the Ducks haven't done that. But, you know, if there's one bright spot for the Ducks power play this year, it's that unit that's kind of just been put together and gets left steel, come to our Richie and Fowler, that has actually started to do things right on the power play. They've got two <laughs> yeah, and now come to us gun for now. But they've got two goals in just over eleven minutes of, of uh, power play time together, which is obviously more efficient than any unit the Ducks have been able to produce so far. And you look at the structure of that that power play unit; it, it kind of sets itself up to be successful as a perimeter shooting power play. You've got yeah. Getzloff on, on that left side being a facilitator and, and a threat to shoot. You've got Steele on the uh, far right side as a one-time option as well. And we've seen him uh, make some very good inner slot passes or cross-ice passes so far as well. You've got Cam Fowler at, at the point, uh, manning uh, manning the point and, and you know getting shots through or, or facilitating passes that way. And you've got two big bodies uh, for deflections or for rebounds in front of the net and Nick Ritchie and, and Maxim come to one. I think if you're going to commit to being a perimeter shooting team on the power play that's kind of the setup you'd want it is especially two guys like nick Ritchie and specifically maxim comtois that are good and tight and have good hands in tight to convert those rebound chances i think max jones is another guy you could put in that spot as well if you wanted to switch things up on that power play with maxim comtois getting down i think max jones kind of slots easily in on that power play 
And then maybe for that first unit that struggled so far, it just comes with, you know, mixing it up a bit and seeing how things go and, and throwing out maybs this unit as the number one power play unit with gets left steel, Comtoir Jones, Richie, and Fowler. throw that out as the number one unit and then maybe shuffle things up on the second unit and try things out there. I, I think that should be their go-to right now, especially with that first unit, as they're calling it right now, is not scoring at all. They have not scored one power play goal this year, and you've already got a unit that's played half the time as them, and they've scored twice. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, that should probably be your first unit from now on if they're, they're converting at a lot better rate than uh, the other one is. We'll see. Right? I think there's time to go. I think they have the personnel not to be a top 10 power play in the league, but definitely not to be the second word. They're not on par. You know, you look at the Ottawa. team that you know, the Ottawa Senators are last. They have no options. You know, they've got maybe Brady Kachuk, who can be a good option there. And obviously, I think Thomas Shabbat uh, among both teams, Ducks or Sens, would be probably the best power play quarterback that either team can produce. But that's it. They don't have too many options from there. The Ducks do have players like... Jakob Silverberg and Ricard Raquel and Ryan Getzlaff, who should be able to convert on the power play. I just think the way they're going about it, the structure that they, that they have right now, is just kind of built up to fail, especially when you're just shooting from the perimeter and you're not getting chances in, in you know, the prime scoring areas. Yeah, and I think they're, they're looking at what other teams are doing and they're trying to make it work with this personnel, and I just don't think that it fits it. So I think they got to structure it a little bit closer to what their skill set is and what their advantages are. All right, let's move on to more of a bright topic, more of a bright spot. Uh, recently put out a Ducks prospect update for the Hockey mm-hmm. Raiders. So looking at some of the, the Ducks prospects who are playing right, well right now and hopefully going to make the team sometime soon, some of these guys sooner rather than later. Oh, yeah. The typical guys, the guys I think you would expect to be playing well, and Trevor Zegras and Braden Tracy and Benoit Olivier Grew. Uh, they had some good weeks. Uh, Trevor Zegris had mm. six points <laughs> over the weekend uh, against. Oh, Providence. that's it. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> that's it. He's he's playing at a, a a pretty unbelievable pace right now. He started yeah. not slow, but I guess what you would expect of a freshman uh, in his first year in the NCAA. Uh, but then yeah, six points against a good team like Providence kind of boosted his his goal total right now, and he's uh, dueling with. King's draft pick, Alex Turka, and I guess Fred, they're, they're, they're pretty close buddies. We talked to him when we had him on the show for an yeah. interview and, and how close they are and, and, and how much of a rivalry that's going to be for them. Well, they're duking it out for freshman, uh, the freshman lead in, in scoring in the NCAA right now. I think Turcotte's at 1.5 points per game and Zegris is at 1.3. So they're Come battling on. it out there. Sure. He's, he's got to catch him. He's, he's getting up there. <laughs> to be fair, to I be believe Turcotte plays... Could be wrong. I believe he plays for Wisconsin or he plays for Boston College, one of the two. So they're a little bit better of a team than Boston University. So to be fair for Trevor Zegris, he's doing extremely well playing on a, on the top power play and top line for, for Boston University so far, which I guess is good to see, right? Because we kind of hope he, he comes here at the end of the year, depending on how far Boston University goes in their season. Yeah, I mean, I'm still never, I don't know. I'd rather have the prospects come in at the start of the season. I don't know about them necessarily going from what they were doing in college and all the success and then throwing them in at the end of the season when usually the games are pretty amped up and then, you know, not being able to either be there or being discouraged because it wasn't such a good go. I mean, I guess at some point, you know, baptism by fire. But I would I would almost like to say, you know, if, if you know he's got the goods, then why not just kind of bring him in gradually? That would be my thing. 
unless the Ducks are, you know, they need a, a pump, you know, someone to maybe kind of ignite some goal scoring. But, you know, they'd have to be close. I would say they have to be close to a playoff spot if you really want to try and bring someone in like that. Well, I don't know. I That's mean, my thought. Last year, Quinn Hughes uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, he finished his season early with Michigan, and they brought him in and played him a couple games just to kind of give him a, a bit of a run. And the Ducks did that with Troy Terry as well. Terry, yeah. when th- when they were you know not really mixing up, I think actually they were going to the playoffs that year. Were were they not when Troy Terry came up and then they got swept by the San Jose Sharks? I think that was the same season. Yeah, I think and so. People were wondering why Terry didn't even get to play one playoff game that season. Um, that, he wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we can we can agree he wasn't ready. But uh, yeah. for a prospect, another Ducks prospect who's a little bit closer, I guess, for us seeing maybe on a full time basis, Benoit Olivier Grew is in his final year for Halifax in the QMJHL. He'll be uh, eligible to play for San Diego next year. Uh, he has kind of been on a hot streak since getting sent back down to the QMJHL. He's on a four game point streak right now. He's got two goals and five assists. And he scored a pretty sweet between the legs goal that we tweeted out. Uh, we quote tweeted yeah. from from the Mooseheads the other day. <laughs> that was uh, a beaut. Yeah, this this is a guy who's kind of been had an interesting path. He was drafted in the same year that the Ducks drafted Maxime Comtois. I think about five to ten picks after Comtois got drafted, was oh. always known as a defensive forward, and he, he's still doing that. He, he's one of the league's best in the face off face off dot. He's winning over sixty percent of uh, four hundred and seventy one attempts. So he he's doing oh. pretty good and. Yes, that's against junior competition, so maybe that doesn't translate, but it still is nice to see him doing that. Defensively, we saw in the, in the rookie faceoff that uh, he is exceptional in his own end, but the offense is coming. I think that is what you, you hope to see from young players is that they start to develop offensively, and of course he's getting older in a league against younger players, so that is kind of commonplace. But mm-hmm. he's starting to do things like that. Like That creativity is, is, is something we haven't really seen from him flash that often. And it'd be nice to see him come in eventually and be, you know, a solid third line center for the Ducks, a, a kind of shutdown type defensive center who can win faceoffs and have that creativity and that skill level that he can flash on in every, you know, a, a, not a consistent basis, but every now and then. Yeah, I mean that would be good, especially when we start looking to the future, because I mean Getzoff will be there for a certain amount of time, Henry, but then you got your Sam Steels, your uh, Zagris, and then. Um, uh, and then him in there, and you know, one thing that I was starting to get worried about for a while there was like, all right, well, what happens when Getzloff's gone? And then you know, I mean, we used to be so dominant down the center with uh, Kessler in there as well, um, but now it's like everything seems like, uh oh. But so this this is kind of good, uh, you know. Like you said, if he can solidify the third, then you got your top three, and that's that's good for a while. So yeah, yeah, they, they've got options, and at least I mean. Again, the, the top three guys that they have outside of uh, out of outside of the NHL and the AHL right now are probably Zegris, Tracy, and Benoit Levegru, the way they're playing. So it is nice to see him doing well. 23 points in 16 games, especially is nothing nothing to, to sneeze at the way he's, he's having his season so far. Uh, the Ducks have a lot of NCAA prospects. They drafted a lot over the, the recent years. And somehow three of them ended up at the University of Minnesota and, and Jack Perbix and Blake McLaughlin, who you and me uh, had the privilege of interviewing yeah. uh, a couple seasons ago now. Yeah. Uh, they're good buddies, and they, they both play for the University of Minnesota. And uh, Jackson Lacombe, a recent draft pick for the Ducks, also is playing at the University of Minnesota this year as well. Mm-hmm. 
And it was not a great week for, I guess you could say, all of them. But uh, yeah. Jack Perbix will, will think it was a pretty great week because he scored his first collegiate goal, which is nice for him considering nice. he's been, been playing a uh, third-line role for most of the year for the Gophers. But uh, Blake McLaughlin, I believe he had one assist. The assist he had was pretty nice, to be fair to him. Yeah. But he had one assist over, I think, the last six games. Jackson Lacombe had one assist over the last six games. And Perbix actually was the better of the three of them, having a goal and an assist. It's a tough run for, for uh, Minnesota. They didn't really play too great over, over that stretch. And uh, Blake McLaughlin was a guy who we were hoping, especially the way he started this year, to, to kind of excel on that. And it's been a, it's, it's a six games, right? Like you, yeah. you have stretches like this where things don't go well. And pretty much anybody but Sammy Walker on that team has been struggling. So it, you're going to have these stretches. So hopefully we can see him rebound this year. Uh, but two guys from Harvard, again, two, two Ducks prospects playing on the same team. Jack Bedini, who somehow is still a Ducks prospect. I think he's in his third year with Harvard now. Okay. Uh, and then Henry Thrun, uh, third oh, round yeah. pick from the last this last draft, have started mm-hmm. – surprisingly well for harvard harvard's three and oh they play in a weaker conference in the ncaa because it's a lot of prep schools so it's not you know something like hockey east where you're playing you you've got three of the best teams <laughs> in the country playing but they've started three and oh outscored their opponents seven seventeen to five yeah uh, jack Bedini centering the second line he's got points in all three games one goal and four assists he had a three assist night in the season opener but henry thrun i think has been one of the most impressive guys. I think when he got drafted, he was labeled as kind of a shutdown guy. Uh, we had uh, on the show, uh, our draft expert, he came on and said that Henry Thrun was a great pick. It was a steal, but offense was always going to be an issue for, for this guy. But he's got two goals and two assists in his first three games. So he scored his first collegiate goal and his first collegiate assist in the same game. He's got two games where he has a multi-point night. He's playing second pairing minutes, so he's having a pretty good start to the season, which is nice for the Ducks. They don't have a lot of defensive depth. The only downside, he's a left shot. They don't have a right as shot. always. Yeah, <laughs> Never so, gonna be. <laughs> we got a lot of good lefties coming up, Jackson Lacombe and and uh, Henry Thrun, but not a ton of righties. But it's it is nice to see him start well. And like I said, it is a weaker conference, but to have you know, there's been some very good, especially defensemen come out of Harvard, especially recently in, in Adam Fox for the Rangers. So yeah. it's nice to see uh, him doing so well points wise as a freshman uh, in the NCAA. Uh, and then the, one of the last guys I want to touch on is Trevor Yannicky because he started, uh, again, from this last draft for the Ducks had. He started the, the season uh, pointless in his first three games, and he's playing for one of the hottest teams in the country in Notre Dame. Since those first three games, he has four goals and three assists in the last five games, including lighting up Jake McLa- or Blake McLaughlin, Jack Perbix, and Jackson Lacombe in two-game <laughs> series that Notre Dame played awesome. against Minnesota. I think he had five points in that series alone. Uh, and he's oh. playing on the third line too. So he, yeah. and he had he had goals in four straight games for Notre Dame. So he's having a pretty good uh, couple weeks here. Hopefully he can continue it because you know we're looking at guys now that that we got from this last draft and, and Henry Thrun and Trevor Yannicky and Trevor Zegris, you know, and Braden Tracy, of course. Like these are you know four of the Ducks' top picks in that draft, and they're all starting to tear it up. Producing, they're all starting to yeah. play well, and and three of those you know three of them are freshmen in the NCAA. Oh and are performing at, a, at almost or more than a point-per-game pace. So it's it's pretty impressive to have their start so far to the season like that. I will take it. The one thing that we've always been uh, high on is how well the Ducks uh, draft um, 
you know, um, their prospects, especially deep in the draft. They, they don't, they always seem to get the right guys in the beginning, usually for the most part. And then it's, you know, the other ones that tend to always kind of be in, in the fold. So it's good to hear that they're, they're starting off at least, uh, particularly good. I guess this is one position the Ducks don't have to worry about too much in, in, in with, with John Gibson, the way he's playing. <laughs> but uh, Lucas Dostal is playing in uh, Liga in the Finnish, uh, Finnish Elite League this year. Tough lead to, to transition to. He played a few games there last year. Uh, but it, it is one of the probably you know the third or, or fourth best league in the world when you look at maybe the KHL and Sweden just being a little bit ahead of it. But it, it is not an easy league to play in, especially as a goaltender. And despite starting the season a little bit slow, Lucas Dostal, they've just been throwing him in pretty much every game. The last four games for uh, Eels, the team he plays with in Finland, they had two back-to-backs across those four games. He played in all four. So they, <laughs> they're just throwing him in, in, in all situations here. He won all four, and he only allowed nice. six goals over, over that four-game stretch as well. It's not been an easy uh, you know, adaptation to Finland for Dostal. He's from the Czech Republic, played most of his young career there. And then moving over to a new country is never easily. But he, he's playing really well right now. And over his uh, last four starts, a 1.50 goals against average, a 939 save percentage. His uh, record on the season is 9-3-1 with a 201 goals against average and a .912 save percentage. So, you know, the first the uh, the first couple games of the season kind of knocked his save percentage a bit. So if you take those out, he's, I think, at basically a .932 save percentage over the, the last... Uh, 11 games for him this year he's a guy who could sneak up for the ducks in a couple of years and, and be a, a pretty good backup for the ducks once ryan miller has finally done his career yeah for sure i mean uh, one thing you always want is that next up and coming goalie because you just don't know when an injury is going to play out and i mean every nhl team carries two goalies for the most part i mean an injury here you know lack of playing over there you, you're going to start to need that third and fourth guy so um, you know, when goalies go, you know, play A in a new league or B with a new team, sometimes there's that beginning learning curve. So I'm not surprised if, if someone struggles out of the gate and it's just consistency. And if he's playing, you know, those four games, you know, he's getting a feel for it and hopefully getting a lot more comfortable. And sometimes that's, that's all you need. Just a little bit of that confidence, getting a little bit more comfortable and things just kind of fall into place. So just keep building on it. Got some, some time to get there but uh it's definitely encouraging to see interesting uh, way they they utilize their goaltenders in finland too i don't think i've ever seen a guy play four games especially in a row when two of them are on back-to-back so yeah. an interesting uh, an interesting route they went there i don't know there are there obviously he's young. options there but yeah he's young and he must be <laughs> the only capable goaltender they have and i guess when you can go out and, and win all four of those it games <laughs> that's not really an issue and only give up six right he was he was actually better i think in the back-to-backs he only gave up two goals in the the games that were the second of the back to back, so yeah, the whole time that the the coach is just like ruffling his feathers, like I knew we were gonna win. Uh, I know how, which goalies I'm playing. How do you feel if you're the backup for that guy? And <laughs> yeah, you didn't get into any of these games. Like you must feel pretty shitty if you didn't get into yeah. any of these games. Uh, last now, we need you to keep that bench warm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's his job <laughs> for this season. But uh, <laughs> last but certainly not least, Braden Tracy. Uh, probably the most impressive. You know, we've talked about some some players the way they're they're playing, especially Zegris and Thrun and, and Dostal, the way they're playing. But I think Tracy's probably probably the most impressive last couple of weeks. He's played in six games over, over I think the last two weeks for for Moose Jaw, and over that span he's got eight goals and five assists. 
two hat tricks, one of which he's not his first four goal game uh, with in the WHL. Just an unbelievable pace for Tracy so far since starting the season. Leads the WHL in points per game at 1.82. And and the big thing with Tracy last year is he kind of had an interesting route because he skipped his rookie season in the WHL, decided to play what would have been his sophomore season as his rookie year. Uh, put over you know 82 points or something like that in, in 50 games, which ended up getting him drafted in the first round by the Ducks. But he was an interesting choice because he was playing with two guys who were 20 in the WHL last year. So a lot of people were thinking is his production him or is it based on the fact he's playing with guys who've been around the league for a long time? Yeah. I think he's kind of dispelled those rumors a bit now that he, he's basically running a line by himself, playing with uh, a couple guys closer to his age on uh, the top line in, in Moose Jaw this year and leading the WHL in points per game. Pretty nice uh, look at Braden Tracy so far, considering a lot of Ducks fans are questioning that pick when you looked at who was left on the board in the first round. You know, Zegers was such a home run that I think people kind of forgot that Tracy was a little bit of a swing for the fences at that point. But uh, he's paying dividends so far. Yeah, um, once again, we kind of talked about it. It's just, uh, yeah, you know, the, the Ducks uh, scouting and being able to kind of pick that. And, you know, I guess when you get that home run like that, maybe, uh, you know, with Zegers, then maybe you're, you're willing to take that that chance uh, that other people weren't quite doing and, you know, hoping for a high upside. So, uh, yeah, I'm saying, uh, you know, that, that big question mark was, you know, is it just because of the players he's playing with? But like you said, he kind of dispelled that. So things are looking pretty bright for most of the prospects we got going, especially in the recent draft. Got one last thing in prospects, a goalie question from Brett. He said, so do you think with Gibson not being particularly old and Dostal potentially being a starter, is Lucas Dostal somebody they trade if he continues playing at this level and, and becomes one of the top goalie prospects in the league? There's always that possibility. I mean, that's that's Gibby's net for quite a while, not yeah. only just out of his – ability but you know just from what i've started to hear over the last you know year or so uh his leadership even though you know he can't wear the c or anything like that he does take on a leadership role and, and quite honestly in most games he's our best player even over ryan gets or anybody else i mean he's he's someone that uh you know a little little serious uh, about it sometimes but i mean you know he he inspires the team and so when you have someone like that and someone that can back it up with their play, uh, it's someone you, you hold on to for quite a while. So I imagine, you know, it's it's Gibby's net for at least half a decade, uh, if not longer. So when that one's kind of there and it's kind of like a Brzgalov thing, are you gonna you gonna keep holding him back or you know, he should be a starter someone else or somewhere else, then you maybe start to look and see if you can't get some assets for a guy who, although you're glad you got, is never really gonna crack that top. So yeah, it, it's tough. Fill it's tough to hole. call it right now. I mean, yeah, I think I mean, Lucas Dostal is, is a great prospect, and I think he's one of the top ten goalie prospects in the league right now, especially with the way he's playing. But they you also never got know. Eck. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they got Eriksson Eck, and you never really know how that that's going to translate once they get to the you know, goalie prospects. I think are a little bit more difficult to project when it comes to you know regular skaters. So, you know, he could be playing well now and then make the transition to the NHL and things just don't work out. So, you know, of course, I hope they do. And it would be nice to have another young goalie in the pipeline that can push John Gibson or be a potential trade piece because of how valuable John Gibson's going to be for this team for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's uh, never a bad thing to have assets to trade or valuable assets to trade 
uh, and, and you know trade from a position of strength. So if Dostal becomes that piece where the Ducks can go up and, and, and you know fill a, a need, whether it's you know getting a goal scoring winger, which is something they desperately need at this point, or a right shot defenseman that's further right. down the road, that's not a bad thing. And, and of course, it, it sucks if you you know watch Dostal go to another team and end up killing it in the NHL at some point. For sure, that would suck. But I think right now, like you said, like it's impossible to say that this is going to be anybody's net. But John Gibson for you know, the next five to 10 years, the way he's playing, it's not like he's playing bad. Like over the last few years, he's been statistically one of the top three goalies in this league. Yeah. Or in history, I think with the save percentage he was doing over 200 games. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to get into our Patreon segment that we've been skipping for probably the last month. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. on, on our Patreon, we have a game show called Bobby's bargain bin, where it's just, you know, the game changes every time. This time it happens to be a trivia show. But uh, we get one of our Patreon members on each show where they can participate in, uh, you know, whatever game we have. And they can win prizes from Bobby's Bargain Bin signing. So I believe the one, and, I, and you know, I think we have this one. If not, it's going to be one of the other prizes we have. But we were looking at, uh, I think it was a Jared Bowl signed puck. Uh, it was, I think that's one of the ones we were looking at. There was like a Lucas Spiza signed hockey card and stuff like that. So there's a, those are an idea of, of some of the prizes we've been looking at. Uh, the first contestant we have on where I should call him right now is Derek. He's one of our Patreon members, like I said. And we've got uh, five Patreon questions set for Derek. When, when, or five trivia questions set for Derek when he comes in. And uh, basically... Uh, hey, what's going on, Eddie? Hey, Derek, what's going on? <laughs> All right, are you ready? Are you ready for I'm re- the trivia questions here? I'm I'm ready. Now, if uh, like I said, this is part of part of our Bobby's Bargain Bin uh, trivia thing for uh, Patreon. So you basically can't lose. Like you, <laughs> the Bobby's Bargain Bin prize, that's a given. You'll 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 win that. What you're playing for is trying to get as many questions right as you can, because at the end of the year we're gonna have a a, uh, a grand prize drawing. For, for something uh, actually something valuable. that's actually <laughs> valuable, something that's better than uh, a Jared Bull signed puck. But you, you right, actually, good. you actually could lose, Derek. You could lose our respect because these are pretty easy. All right. Well, yeah. Let's yeah. do this. Okay. <laughs> All right. The majority of them. First one. First question. What junior team did Ryan Getzlaff play for? Uh, the Calgary Hitmen. Nice. Nice. We should have like that's a one of the easy ones. That's yeah. I, I don't have any sound effects. This is low budget. Right, we so are that's, low budget. That's, that one was one of the easier ones. Second question: How many goals did Timo Solani score in his rookie season? I think it was seventy-six. Uh, ding ding ding! Look at that. <laughs> Dead on. I would not have got that one. So props wow. for this one. Yeah, yeah. I would have. <laughs> questions questions get a bit harder here. Uh, this is a personal favorite question of mine. What year did Randy Carlisle win the Norris Trophy? Norris Trophy? <laughs> you sound surprised that Randy Carlisle won. 77? It's close, but 1980-81. Randy oh, Carlisle <laughs> was the Norris Trophy. I'm sure. That's a hard if, one. I'm <laughs> sure if you talked to Randy Carlisle once, I'm sure that would be the first thing that would come up is what year he won the Norris Trophy. Um, next question we have, another Ducks coach question. This is where they start getting a bit harder. What team was Dallas Aikens drafted by? Oh, Toronto, I believe, right? No, he coached for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he was drafted e- by the Washington Capitals. 
Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That was a, I think that was the hardest one we had. Last question here. You're two for two for four right now, so let's finish on a good note. What AHL team did the Anaheim Mighty Ducks and the Detroit Red Wings share? Keyword is Mighty Ducks. So this is going back. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? <sighs> you know what? That's that's a that's a really hard one. I I don't know that one. Think of Ohio cities in Ohio. Cleveland Mighty Ducks. Close. <laughs> no. The Cincinnati yeah, no Mighty idea. Ducks. But Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. We'll take Cincinnati. it. You are you are now a proud owner of a Bobby's Bargain Bin. Whatever we end up getting, if it's the Jared Bullsarpuck <laughs> or Luca, you can tell this is full budget here. Uh, whatever yeah. the uh, whatever we end up getting, it's uh, rich. In, we reach into the bargain bin and pull yeah. out a grand prize for that. Like, uh, Pat Bob is Murray way be more proud. organized than us, so he was looking at stuff like this earlier. But you've either won a Jared Bull signed puck, a Luca B- Lucas Spies signed hockey card, a James Wisniewski signed something, whatever. You know, we'll we'll find a guy. You've won that and. Because you're you're so great and a Patreon supporter, you've been entered into the grand prize at the end of the season to win something that's a lot better than a Jared Bull signed puck or a Lucas Pisa signed uh, hockey card. Great, great. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, no problem, Derek. Take care. Thank you for your support. Appreciate that, Eddie. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Bobby's bargain bin at a low, very low budget uh, level. <laughs> Went about as well as I thought it would. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, <laughs> That was uh, put together in uh, 10 minutes, so it went, uh, went as good as we thought it would. But we had to squeeze one in because we've been promising this for a while. Uh, Brett yes. will be on for Bobby's Bargain Bin for Sunday, and uh, hopefully we'll have a bigger – or Saturday. Saturday or Sunday, whenever we're doing the next show. I think it's Sunday <laughs> because there's no game. But anyway, Brett is on for Saturday or Sunday for Bobby's Bargain Bin, and, and it will be something similar, probably not a trivia game, something different. And we'll actually have the prizes nailed down for that because uh, Pat will be there, and he'll be uh, <laughs> he'll be more prepared than we are for that. So let's Yeah, uh, and Pat can be here because of a uh, happy anniversary for him and uh, his wife, Michelle. So yeah, Pat, that's why he's not Pat here. I was trying to say he's like, he's like, I'm 95% sure I can't come. I'm like, Pat, just be 100% sure you can't come. Just, yeah, it was it was that, once he brought he brought it up like a week ago and I'm like, okay, he's not showing up. I'm gonna see what I can do. I'll shut up. Just, just enjoy, <laughs> Whatever, dude. enjoy you. And he was still doing work for the show today. He was still looking yeah. up prizes. He still posted the picture of our fan questions in our doc, I think, earlier before the show. So kudos to Pat for, for putting in work despite his, his wedding anniversary. But there was no way we were letting him on this show tonight yeah. and uh taking time out from uh him and Michelle's uh wedding anniversary. So but Pat will hopefully be back for Saturday or Sunday, and it'll be the three of us. Yeah. So, All right. Let's move on to fan questions. We have a few on Twitter and a few on Facebook. Uh, Alex McKay just went nuts and asked three questions on Twitter, so I guess we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to all three of those. Overachiever. Uh, first question he said is, what is the Ducks' best D lineup without Manson and Lindholm? What they have that- now? That's a, <laughs> yeah, Gooley, that's a... Gooley Fowler. Uh, as much as I hate it, Larson and Holzer likely stay together because they always stay together. And then I guess Mahura and Goodbranson, like I or yeah. Delzato is the seven. Like that's probably the best one that they have. Yeah, and now now is he asking what's the top? two defensemen that you would use instead of Lindholm and I think he um, just I think he just means like what is their best like lineup six, lineup yeah okay 
Yeah, I, I'd agree with that because that's literally all we have. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, other than yeah, that, it's we're those not really guys in be... Del Sato. There's seven guys that we can There's pick from. There's seven guys we got to choose from. And I so, guess Simon uh, Ben was there, but we haven't seen him play, so I can't yeah, so I can't I can put him in you. yet. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And that's the only way you can do it because Lars and Holtz have been together for for the most of the season, and, and Gouli and Fowler are going to be put together. So I guess Josh Maher is the guy who gets to be anchored by Eric Goodbranson. Sorry, Josh, but that's uh, <laughs> that's the way things are going to work out. Uh, part of that question you said is what about with Lindholm, and then what about if you had Lindholm and Manson? I think if you have Lindholm and Manson, it, it's pretty easy because you've got Lindholm, Manson, Gouli, Fowler, and then it comes down to that third pairing where I think sure it's Goodbranson and one of... Delzato, Larson, or Mahura, and probably Mahura gets sent back uh, down, so it's Larson uh, or Delzato. Yeah. So now they can't set can they they can't send Larson down without passing through uh, I don't know. I think we, we brought we brought this up before and I was wondering if he was waiver exempt. And then I, I just never checked if he was waiver exempt. Yeah. I don't know. I, I yeah. Flip a coin, in my opinion, between Larson and Mahura. I mean, they're they're both trying to make the the lineup. They both got good games and bad games under their belt. So, so but yeah, Larson, I think uh, that, that Larson is waiver for... exempt, so he can be okay. sent out. I don't know. I mean, you're splitting hairs here at the very lowest level, but I I probably have Gabrunson and then uh, Mahura as yeah. that five six. Um, and then just depending on if they have a bad game, you can throw in Holzer, but um, you know, once again, or throw in Delzato, right? So yeah, either way, it's just it's not what you want to have to be doing, but it looks like that's what we have to do. So Alex's uh, next question, he prefaces this by saying it's a potentially deep end question. Uh, uh-huh. He says, are the Samuelis owners that care about winning or do they just seem content to not lose money? He said, attached to that, how long is Murray's leash? Would there ever be a point where he's on the hard seat, uh, hot seat? Uh, for the first part, uh, are the Samuelis owners that care about winning or do they just seem content to not lose Money. Uh, no, I don't think that they're they're you know uh, content with well content with losing. I mean, they I know they want to win. Uh, they got a taste of that right at the beginning when they got there. Um, they they do so much in the community as well as improvements in the arena. I mean, they they are spending money on things that don't necessarily mean yeah. that they're going to win. I mean, they're they're doing it for the fan experience. And if you're trying to improve the fan experience, the best way to do that is through wins. And I know that they're trying to do that. And they've opened up the 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 coin purse, you know, a little bit for uh, Bob Murray in the past. Trying to reel it in, maybe a little bit right now, but. Um, I, I don't question their integrity or their want to win versus them just worried about the bottom line because they wouldn't do what they've been doing if they were just worried about yeah. how much profit they're they going to squeeze they out. They also it. don't have really any control over the hockey decisions that are made, and I think the Ducks have been a cap team for the last, what, four or five seasons where they've been spending close to the cap. This year yeah. it just turns out they haven't. I think also with the decision to buy out Corey Perry, that directly affects the pocketbooks for the Samuelis having to pay out that money for a player who's not there. So that also, I think, is a decision where that's them trying to be a winning team sooner rather than later. And I think that is a decision we didn't expect them to make, where they, you know, we didn't expect them to buy out Corey Perry and and have to front that money to a player who wasn't going to be a part of the team, and they ended up doing that. So I think they are owners that care about winning, but they only have so much influence on the winning that actually takes place. 
Yeah, I think I think there's two different types of owners. There's those that are ultra involved and where that can maybe show like they're passionate. Sometimes they're getting too involved. They get they make bad decisions because of how involved or how smart they think they are. And there's other ones that are like, listen, we like this team, we want it to be good, but we aren't in hockey ops. We don't necessarily understand the ins and outs of contracts, players, prospects, scouting. We we're not in that. We we trust the people who are in charge to do that, and we review with them. And and you know, year in and year out, everyone's under review afterwards. Even Bob Murray. Yeah, and and the second part of his question was, um, you know, is is how long is Murray's lease? Will there ever be a point he's on the hot seat? I don't think so because I believe what his contract's up after the, or was it after the Seattle okay, expansion two, draft? So two more years. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's it basically, the he gets the Seattle expansion draft as a send off, and, and then that's it for him unless they resign him. I honestly think that's probably it for him at that point. I think they they try and move in a different direction. You know, I could be wrong and they could resign him. Who knows? It all depends. But yeah. I think I always, I thought right when that contract was signed and, and the timing of it and, and it being right until the expansion draft, it was almost like, hey, this is this is it. You know, you you've got a chance to turn this team around in the next couple of years, and and then you know you get that last big decision at the expansion draft with the roster you currently have. Gets left contract comes off the books. Perry's contract's off the books. Kessler's contract is off the books in the season after that. So all the big contract decisions he made, I guess, barring you know, Fowler and, and Silverberg and Henrique and any more he makes into that decision, all those big old contracts are gone. And and it really yeah. primes and, and and obviously the expansion draft decisions made there, it really sets yourself up for a new GM at that point if you want to go in that direction. Now they might re sign him and that's I think that's a very possible decision they take. But the the length of his contract right now and when it ends, it, it kind of perfectly aligns for you if you want to, to go out and get a new GM. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I don't think he ever will be, but I think two years could be it for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this team's kind of in that transition period, so even if they're not exactly, you know, knocking down the doors of competing for the Stanley Cup, if they're competitive and they they look decent enough and they're moving forward, they're not moving backwards. Last year was the low mark. Everything has to be an improvement. The only time is if we start going backwards, that's where maybe they cut his contract sooner but once again i don't think they're very impulsive to go ahead and do that i mean if you were really impulsive and thought he was doing a crappy job it was him not firing carlisle and waiting that damn long to to do that so he's had some questionable moves you know from a head you know from head coaching to assistant coaches once again i'm not a big fan of mclean leaving um you know, but person, decisions, right? Like yeah, contract thing. decisions, you know, but, you know, he, he, he doesn't overspend. He works within the budget. He's got a good idea. He's not a bad GM. It's just not every decision is going to work out great. And uh, he knows the deficiencies in the teams. He's trying to solve those problems where he can with what he's got. Um, so, you know, he's, he's probably owner-friendly GM, meaning that, you know, he's not going to ask you to pay out a whole bunch of guys for bad contracts and he's trying to make it work and build up you know through the draft and that sort of deal and you can't fault him on that either they've been doing great there so i don't think he's in the hot seat i think yeah he gets those other two years and just depending on his success over the next two years that'll determine whether or not they let him walk or if they think they can get someone better or can put the team in a better position to win Last question we had was from john t lamb on instagram he said time to panic oh, fellow lamb yeah, LAM. Yeah. Sorry, close. Oh. Not, uh, not, uh, not 100%. Almost. Exactly. 
Uh, he said, time to panic. If so, who should we trade and for what? So is it time to panic for the Ducks? It depends what your expectation is. If your yeah, expectation yeah, that's, was, that's the if I'm going yeah. to the Stanley Cup and oh, we got to compete right now for the Stanley Cup, then yeah, I'd be in panic mode. But this is a team that was not projected to even make the playoffs. Most analysts didn't think they'd be anywhere close. So to have the start they have, that's good. Um because of younger players, a new coach, a new style, um, and kind of a new mentality, there's going to be those those struggles and those successes. You're going to roll with them, and they're going to be a lot like what we've seen, where we have good streaks, bad streaks, and kind of things in between. You know, hopefully they kind of start figuring it out. Things get a little bit more consistent, but you know, it's not panic button. It's just they're they're where you, I kind of thought they would be at this point. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you had like Tampa Bay Lightning expectations for them, like you thought they were going to win, they're in panic mode right now. <laughs> so, yeah, you're in panic mode. But sure. nine, eight, and two right now, I believe, is their record. That's kind of where I expected them to be around this year. Uh, be a team that's going to, you know, maybe scrape into a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league, and I, I think they've shown that they're not going to be, you know, nearly as close to where they were last year. They're likely an eighty-five to ninety-point team this year, which is, I think, what they're on pace for anyway. So. No, it's not time to panic, and and I think you know people were optimistic and excited for this year for good reason. A new coach, young players, but that also comes with learning curves and and, and struggles, and we've started to see that this year. So that's that's going to happen. I think at some point that you know they have a stretch where they win a, you know three or four games in a row, and then there's going to be struggles like this. It's just going to be you know kind of a roller coaster of a season in that sense. So no, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not super. Uh, super panic mode yet and, and in terms of who should they trade and what should they trade for right now i think it's a little bit too early i don't think the ducks really need to make any moves maybe they go out and get a right shot defenseman and if the right hockey move comes up then sure but i don't think you're going to sell the farm to go out and get rasmus Ristolainen or somebody of that quality right now i don't think the ducks are really in a position where they have to do that but like i said if, if the right move comes up then i think bob murray would make it yeah uh, okay, let's move on to our – we don't have a ton of time, but let's move on to the shootout brought to you by Cool Hockey. This is where we discuss some of the top NHL topics in the league. Uh, quick disclaimer, the Don Cherry is the biggest news story in the <laughs> NHL right now. We are going to cover that, but we're covering that on our rant show on Patreon because it's perfect topic for the rant show. <laughs> it's just written, written perfectly for that. So that's uh, – yeah. A little bit of tease for that show. I, I think if you're a Patreon member, then you'll be. I think it's five dollar Patreon, five five and ten dollar Patreon uh, members get access yeah. to the rant show. So that's going to be a topic on there. And then we're also going to discuss. Uh, Jeremy Roenick had this great story about uh, Michael Jordan and uh, a gambling <laughs> and and golf story that he had with Michael Jordan. That's going to be, I think, for either our rant show or for probably our Pucks and Brews show, uh, so, yeah. which is coming in later in the month. So those two things we're covering later, but. First topic we have for today's show is uh, Ilya Kovalchuk. Mm -hmm. The uh, the LA Kings are not playing him. He's allowed to come to practice, but they don't (laughs) want to play him. And uh, Kovalchuk made no comment today. And it looks like Uh, they're trying to mutually get rid of his contract, whatever that looks like. He's making $6.3 million for the next couple of years. And I wish Pat was on this show because Pat said he was going to score 30 goals. And I told him (laughs) he was going to be a bum. And now we're here, and now Kovalchuk yeah. is a bum, and the LA yeah. Kings are looking to get rid of his contract. Yeah, now I was not on the same uh, boat, uh, you know, I mean, if, as Pat was. I mean, if you wanted to be like, 
overly, overly optimistic, maybe. But you got to look at the facts. You're talking about a, a player who uh, is uh, mid 30s uh, coming in at six. I mean that 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 the price and term. I mean three years isn't you know crazy, but it is for someone that old and for someone who hasn't played a league. I think he was out for like four or five years. Yeah. Um, and no movement clause, uh, which also makes it very difficult to to try and trade him or do anything like that. Um, and you were just hoping he could come in and play. But the one thing that has was so evident to me when they signed him, or anyone that wanted to sign him, it's like he has missed only four or five years. And sometimes players come back and they're good. I mean, Yager did it, and that's fine. But the NHL has changed so much in those four to five years before he came back. It, he had skill and he had size, but now size is kind of out of it. Skills there, but the skills even higher than what he's used to, and the speed is a whole nother factor. So, does he have talent? Absolutely. Does he have six million dollars worth of talent and a no trade, no move clause? Uh, absolutely not. You know, and maybe your best year was going to be that first one, and then after that, it's all downhill. So the Kings are in quite a spot. Uh, I made the suggestion um, online that if the Kings can just load him up with some prescription drugs and send him to the Canadian border, <laughs> it would just work out textbook uh, Kings uh, salary cap avoidance. He got really old really fast, and and not just his age, but the way he looks right now. Like he's got white hair. He's looking like Alex Ovechkin. <sighs> But like so he's judgy. forty right now, uh, Oval so uh, But you know what? I, I feel like this is more than you're playing bad. We don't want you because he's actually not playing that bad. You know, obviously worse than what his contract states. But he's got nine points in seventeen games, which is more than a lot of Kings players have. It's more than Jeff Carter has in the same amount of games played. Jeff Carter has seven points in eighteen games. The only guys who have more, Dustin Brown has ten. Drew Doughty has ten. Uh, and uh, Anze Kopitar has 18. I feel bad for Anze Kopitar playing on, on not not too much, but being on, on such a bad team. But he's got more points than Tyler Toffoli, more points than, than uh, Sean Walker, and like I said, uh, you know, Amadio and I follow. Like he's he's the fourth highest scorer on this team, right? Yeah. But I, yeah. it, it, there has to be things I think going on behind the scenes with what I wouldn't be surprised with with Ilya Kovalchuk if there was. And I think they're just fed up with it. And, and again, the contract comes into play there, making six point three million dollars. Yeah. And at what point is he just holding up, a, you know, a, a roster spot? And at what point are you going to have a six million dollar man on the fourth line? It's kind of the same thing we were running into with, you know, Corey Perry. It's like, you know, you know, like you and all, and you know, you you, you do put up some points. You're kind of in there, but really at this point, your your game doesn't justify the contract. And we're kind of starting ready to move in a new direction. But apparently he's, you know, he's horrible defensively, you know, his responsibility on defense. Um, he's just lackluster on that side. And you can be that if you're the Kovalchuk of old where you can snipe a whole bunch of goals. Yeah. But he's, he's really not doing it at that level. And you got guys like Kopitar who are defensively responsible, you know, in the elite level and still producing more offensively. So it's hard to justify that $6 million there. Yeah, maybe he's getting more points than Carter, but quite honestly, Carter's also coming back from injuries. He's up there in age as well. You can expect a decline. So uh, I think, you know, at least with Carter, there's some sort of responsibility on defense. I think that's their major gripe. And it's not just Todd McClellan. Uh, McClellan. Uh, uh, Dens uh, didn't uh, work well with him either. You know, set him down the fourth line, healthy scratch. So 
this is over multiple coaches and over multiple seasons, so it was doomed. I, <laughs> I never, saw, never saw I, it really working out. I love to have Josh Cooper on the show again just to talk about this because <sighs> I feel like this is a bit of a, a stealth tank by yeah. the LA Kings in, in the sense like oh, Anze Kopitar is going to be Anze Kopitar and you can't get rid of him. You can't get rid of Drew Doughty. But you can make up something up like this up and not play Kovalchuk and, and just get rid of him. And, and you know, Tyler Toffoli's oh. already been publicly placed on the trade block and likely to be moved at, by the deadline. Jeff Carter has been rumored for the last couple seasons to try and, and, and be moved. And, you know, from there you look at, you know, Carter's, if Carter goes and Toffoli goes and Kovalchuk goes, that's three of your top six guys on offense. Obviously, you can't move Kopitar, can't move Doughty, and you're likely not going to move Dustin Brown. Brown. But you if you move three of those six, like that – increases your chances to go out and get a guy like this year, like Alexis Lafreniere or, or Quinton Byfield. And right now the LA Kings are last in the Western conference at six, 11 and one. Uh, th- their 13 points are actually, they're actually last in the entire league right now. Their 16 points are, are league worst, or 13 points are league worst, uh, worse than the New Jersey devils, worse than the Ottawa senators, worse than the Detroit Red Wings and directly tied with the Minnesota wild. So I don't want to say it is because I don't know, but when you, you add in the fact that, they just don't want to play Kovalchuk with the fact that Toffoli's on the trade block and Jeff Carter already has been. It kind of looks like a stealth tank a little bit. Like they, they oh. want this one or two overall pick and what's supposed to be a very, very good draft. Yeah. Well, you know. And let's hope they don't get it. Because last year they were supposed <laughs> to get Capo Caco and I loved the fact that they fell out to number four. They still got Alex Turcott, which he's yeah. still a great player, but it's not what we expected Jack Hughes and Capocacco to be eventually. So, yeah, all good news there. Uh, Next topic we have. This is a short one, but I just loved it. Uh, If you haven't seen the video on the Carolina Hurricanes broadcast (laughs) recently, uh, it's it's a Fox Sports broadcast, so it's a similar setup to what the Ducks have. So, you know, in in the Ducks broadcast where there's a glass glass, window behind it, you can see some of the fans behind it. So the, the Hurricanes have the same thing. And there was one Hurricanes fan holding an ice cream cone talking to another one. And uh, another guy sneaks up behind him, steals his ice cream, takes a bite of it, and then tries to put it back. Put it back. He tries to put it back. The guy notices it's gone, doesn't notice the guy has his ice cream. The guy looks the wrong way. Yeah, looks the wrong way. The guy who took it just says, all right, I'm out of here. And I'm going to take the ice cream. I'm going to take it with him. Leaves. And the other guy still doesn't notice. And the girl beside him notices the guy leaving with the ice cream. But this guy, I thought he noticed him. But then he starts looking around everywhere else. Like, he's like, what happened to my ice cream? So he had no idea what was going on. I loved that video. It was hilarious. It yeah. blew up. I just would have loved if he put the got the ice cream back. I think that would. Have yeah, been I know. Kind of, it's just like it just take a one little bite, put it back in, and see if he notices the bite or not. But oh man, but yeah, now that guy's my personal hero. It takes it, disappears, takes his bite, comes back, tries to put it back. He's like, oh crap, I'm in trouble. And then it was just like it was perfect timing to to put his shoulder in the way and hide the cone right <laughs> as the guy starts to turn around his way, and then he just you know do 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 I'm on my way over here. I got. I gotta think. Ice cream cone that big has got to be heavy. And although this dude was looking at this other dude's phone and seeing whatever, you gotta feel that weight all of a sudden just right? not in your and, hand. And, you know, that's gotta be like a seven dollar ice cream cone at an arena too. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> even more. Oh, geez. You that was it was funny. a beer though. If it was a beer, you would have noticed it. But uh, yeah, well, I'm thinking a lot of beers maybe kind of threw off his whole uh, weight uh, equilibrium. Who gets ice or cream at a, at a hockey game though. <laughs> 
Especially at the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> the game was over at that point. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Maybe it was in between. It was like a periods. waffle cone, giant ice cream cone. Like, when are you – When are you? I don't think I've ever been at a hockey game and thought, yeah, you know what? I could go for an ice cream cone right now. A child would, but this is a grown-ass man. <laughs> That's weird. And I don't think I would have the balls to be that guy and take it from this guy either. Like I said, I think alcohol had a lot to do with everything oh, yeah. happening there. <laughs> did, they, did the Kings win that game? That might be uh, – that might I think they did. I think they were playing Vancouver and they beat them, I think. But uh, I'm going to get a couple questions <laughs> in the chat before we finish off our NHL talk here. Uh, Almighty cool. Peppa just joined the show. She missed a little bit of it earlier, but she had a couple questions uh, right after we had our question period. Uh, she said, do you think a lot of the Ducks' struggles are based on their defense without their top two defensemen? That's significant. Uh, that and their power play, I would say, is probably their, their biggest thing. And depth scoring a little bit. I mean, Kasha, although getting the chances, hasn't quite buried it. Um, uh, Max Jones, same type of deal. You know, Raquel's doing great. Uh, Silverberg, you know, Getzloff's doing a little bit more than we'd expect. But, you know, Troy Terry's not really lighting it up either. And we're, we're getting close to that 20-game mark here. And we're, we're kind of... Uh, struggling to find those necessary goals but i think if the power play clicks a little bit that definitely helps us in, in getting some of those wins and you can't say enough about losing three or top four defensemen for a significant amount of time yeah. so it's it's significant uh, there's a lot of factors going into it but that's a young team struggling and uh, injuries are playing a part of that yeah, there's a lot of factors, but I think that's playing a big part of it, especially when you you don't have Lindholm and Manson. You look at the depth after that being, you know, Del Sato mm-hmm. and Larson, and, and no, no, you know, uh, discredit to Maher the way he's playing, but that that's a tough task defensively to fill when you yeah, lose Josh Manson. It's a tough ask. And Hampus Lindholm. Uh, Chris just said Honda Center has good ice cream. So Chris is the type. Chris is the type of Ooh. guy who gets ice cream at hockey games. So the only kind, I don't know. It's been so long since I've had ice cream at any sporting events. I don't know if this is more of like at the Angel game, but they have the ones that like you have like the wooden spoons, and then you kind of get it, but it's like ice cream, and then it's also like caramel. I like those ones. See, that's baseball games are acceptable because it's outdoors and it's hot. Hot it's usually in summer. summer, yeah. But you're inside a hockey arena that's generally generally cold, and I guess there maybe it's different because you guys like it's warm outside, so maybe like it's if you, and I guess Carolina maybe yeah. is, is pretty warm, so you're getting an ice cream to go outside. It's warm. I'm used to going well, into well, a what about arena that? and it's freezing, so I, why would I want an ice cream cone to go outside in the snow? So maybe that's a bit biased on my part. Well, is it is it any worse than that one Canadian fan or Toronto fan chick who was there with her boyfriend, literally just eating mayo straight oh, out I of saw a that. freaking that was jar disgusting. like that? Big. I had to be. A <laughs> is that bit. a Canadian that thing? Had, I don't know, man. That had to be a bit. There's no way that was real. They brought a giant jar of mayonnaise and we're just eating <laughs> mayonnaise, and they were dipping was, something yeah. in it. He was dipping something in it. I don't he was know dipping it, and then like she's just sitting there, just like spoon, spoonful. And it's like it's no, 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 no. There was no time in between. Thing. I, I don't know, but yeah, I think it was Canadian because I thought, well, maybe it's a French Canadian thing. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Here's here's the last topic we had. There was a players poll. We originally had this set up for uh, last show, but we missed it because we ran out of time. But it was an NHL player poll done by ESPN where they asked nine different questions. I, I don't think you haven't seen this, right? Uh, parts of it. I think I read like the beginning one or two. Okay, I want to see if you can get these answers. So the players, I don't know which players, but they were pulled on a, a varying amount of questions. Uh, 
that went across from like what is the worst locker room you're visiting to uh, is there a drug problem in the NHL? So they kind of went the full the full spectrum on their questions here. Yes. Yeah. But we'll run through these real quick. I want to see if you can get the answer. So the first one was which team has the worst visiting locker room? Now this is just completely random because not none of us will know which team has a, a shit visiting locker room. But yeah, what team would you think <laughs> has the worst visiting locker room? Just the the physical locker room. Yeah, yeah. Like just the visit. The visit I would just think room. it's like one of I would those. Think it'd be whatever like one city of the older always arenas. sucks. I think it would just be it was, one of the older arenas, right? Because the new arenas yeah. would generally, like, I'm sure Edmonton probably has a nice one because it's a new arena. So, like, I don't know. I would, I don't know. Let's say Philly. Philly is not on this. So the the worst oh. one, by almost a wide margin, forty two percent is Washington. Uh, and then Boston's huh. at thirty four percent, and then the next one is Carolina at eighteen. So like Boston, I think TD Garden's pretty old, so that that kind of makes sense. I'm not sure how old Verizon Center is. But maybe Washington just that made their visiting room just horrible. Purpose. So yeah. some of the players said Washington's showers are so bad they're like a prison shower. There's a pole in the middle <laughs> that just spews that comes that spews that just comes out of one pole. And then uh, <laughs> one of the players said uh, Boston is brutal. You're right there next to the rink. It's cold. You're not comfortable. If you feel comfortable, you're going to play well. So that's probably why they do it. It's a competitive advantage for them. So I think that he just mad that Boston's cold, but apparently Washington's showers are just so bad that all the players hate him. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, on the same trend, which team has the best visiting locker room? I actually didn't see this one, and I got the the first answer. Just oh. guessing. Um, the best. Um, I would say probably newer place would Vegas yeah. be there. Vegas yeah. is there. Yeah, they're second, and and this went okay. to my my kind of trend on newer arenas probably have better visiting locker rooms because you look at these three teams, They I think they have the three newest arenas in the league. Edmonton's number one at 40%. They have the second newest arena in the league at Rogers Place. Uh, Vegas is number two at 28%. They have one of the newer arenas in T-Mobile Arena. And then the newest arena in the league is Little Caesars at uh, the Red Wings. They were number three. And then Minnesota was there with number 12. I don't know how. I think they have an older arena, but people just liked it. But of course, everybody's saying good showers, big locker rooms. Uh, Someone said Edmonton's like a penthouse. There's so much space. So maybe that's why Edmonton's been so bad for so long. They're just making the other team feel being too nice. Yeah. Uh, number three, would you play for Seattle in year one? Players got a yes or no option. Oh. How many do you think? Do you, do you think the majority was yes or no? And then what? Uh, I think I think it's a significant amount would probably say yes, just because of how well Vegas did. But Vegas is completely different from Seattle, so I would say majority would probably say no, not wanting to play in a, um, an overly cloudy city like Seattle. <laughs> so. That's what I. That's what I would have thought. It's a bit closer, yeah. sixty forty. But for yes, sixty percent yeah. of the players said they would. Wow. Uh, and most of it's based on. I mean, you'll both. play wherever you're going to get paid, so I guess it doesn't matter. But yeah, most of it's based off of the success from Vegas, how they fall. Yeah. So, like, so one player said the success of Vegas has definitely opened guys' minds up to it a little bit more. Uh, one guy said yeah. the travel would probably suck, but other than that, it would be sick. Uh, another guy said, it, "I think it'd be a lot of fun. It's a great city. Seems like they're putting a lot of money into the rank, and it worked out last time with Vegas. So a lot of the sentiment was it was Vegas." A couple guys said they they'd never played there, but they know guys who played junior there, and it was great. And then one guy said he wants to play on the East Coast, so I kind of get that. But Seattle doesn't. I mean, it does not seem like uh, 
a great city maybe oh, to live oh, in, but it is a sports city with the Seahawks and with the Sounders. So, and obviously basketball and hockey have been there at times too, and and obviously the Mariners and baseball. So, I can see that it would be a nice city to play in, especially if the fans take to it, right? Hey, I'll I'll play there if they pay me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah starting goaltender. There you go. Just, right. uh, put your name in on the expansion draft. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, number four, the question was, would you feel comfortable appearing in a national ad campaign for, say, Nike or Gatorade, or do you feel that would be too much of a distraction to your team? I don't think it would be a distraction to the team. I would uh, – I mean, if, if you're going to get that, A, you're going to get more money because that's kind of a sponsorship deal, so yeah. why turn it down and then uh, – you know, I think now a lot of, you know, the the players coming in, they're a lot younger and a lot more on social media. And so they're kind of more open to, to doing things and being out there versus that, I guess, that old school mentality where it's, you know, oh, you put team first and, you know, you don't don't make us look bad and all that stuff. I think that's a, it's getting more and more outdated. So I would say most people would probably be on board with it. Yep, sixty-four percent said they they would. Thirty-four percent, thirty-six percent said no. And, and one of the quotes they had from one of the guys who said no is, "It's like he just doesn't want to put himself out there like that. Not so much a team yeah. thing, but that's just not his thing." Uh, one guy said it'd be fun yeah, for fun. sure, but if my face was on TV all the time, he'd get chirped by the guys. Uh, you know, a couple <laughs> guys said that you know more NHL players, especially the superstars, should do it because. You know, put them out there, maybe not wear suits all the time, switch it up. He said kind of in the same style of the NBA where they kind of show more of their personality. Uh, and uh, one guy said, I'd do it, but I wouldn't do the body issue, though. That's too much. Ryan Kessler <laughs> would disagree, but uh, yeah. I can see. Uh, it's just not for every guy, so I can understand. No. I'm sure some of the old old school guys were most of the guys that said uh, 36%. Here's where the questions flip to a completely different territory. <laughs> it goes to uh, from about uh, should players put themselves out there and, and would you play for Seattle to the NHL doesn't punish for recreational jugs, drugs. Is that good or bad? And there's three answers the players can have. You're good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, what do you think the majority percentage of this was for? Recreational. Um I don't know because that's that's really dependent a little bit on where you grew up and um, I guess your your attitude about it moving forward. Once again, I think it's yeah. a little bit of a younger league, and it's probably not as frowned upon or you know I guess more accepted. Uh, but it gave the players a, an easy out here though. Yeah, by having different. that third option, <laughs> yeah. that was the easy out. Yeah. So I think if you add that up and uh, it's not a big deal, uh, I think then uh, you have a majority right there probably. Yeah. So the question was, the NHL doesn't punish for recreational drugs. Is that good or bad? 62% said indifferent because they were given that easy out. 24% said it's a good thing that the NHL doesn't punish for recreational drugs. And 14% said it's bad. Uh, so I think the players were not 100% sure what they meant by recreational drugs because one said, I think it's both. If you're talking about marijuana and cocaine, one of those drugs is probably beneficial. The other one is not. So maybe uh, the policy needs to be redefined. Uh, one player said, if it's yeah. not performance enhancing, it doesn't give you an edge, then whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing, too, is not every state is allowing it as recreational. So depending on where these players are playing from, they may not even view either one of those as recreational. Yeah, right. And, and again, uh, like like some of the players are saying, like there's a big, you know, kind of drop off between mar- marijuana and cocaine. And, yeah, and what's one's a lot harder. And what's not? So, uh, yeah. one player said, "I think it's good." In other sports, you see guys getting suspended for weed. It's it's their body. I'd rather have that than opioids, right? 
Uh, yeah. And one player said, I don't think it's a problem. We're all professional athletes. We take care of our bodies and know what to do. I'm, I'm sure if they asked uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, he would have probably been part mm-hmm. of that good category, even though he got Yeah, well, once he came off but... of the ceiling, Kuzi, yeah. get down here. We, get down here. We need to talk to you. <laughs> and uh, this this next question is completely related to that, and it focuses more on the cocaine use in the NHL, which has been, I guess, the big topic when it comes to drug use in the NHL. Uh, especially with obviously starting with Kuznetsov's uh, suspension for three games at the beginning of the year, said given the league's approach to recreational drug use, does the NHL have a cocaine problem? Before we get into the end, just imagine being asked these questions. You get started <laughs> off with questions like, "What's the worst locker room to be in? What's the best yeah, locker room? Do you want to oh, play in man, Seattle? Does the NHL have a cocaine problem?" <laughs> Answer the question. It's a bit of a, a do you have drugs years. right now? <laughs> yeah, that's question number seven. Uh, but yeah. what do you think their answers were? So, so again, they were given an easy out here, but the, the answers were yes, no, or I don't know. I think they'd either say I don't know or no, just because if they do know it's going on, they're not going to say that it's going on because yeah. then you, you, they it's probably their teammates that they, you know, so uh, I would think an easy out is, I don't know, I've never seen it, uh, whatever. <laughs> so some, some of these answers you can kind of look at and say, like, not that these guys know something's going on, but they're a bit scripted answers. So yes, uh, 10% said yes, that it does have a cocaine problem. 58% said no, 32% said I don't know. So uh, these are some of the answers they had listed here from the players. One guy said, has anyone said yes to this question? I really don't (laughs) think there is one, so I'd be shocked if someone said yes. Uh, Another player said, I've never seen it. I don't know if it's just my team, but I've never seen it. Again, that seems like a scripted answer there. Uh, One player said, you hear stories of it, and they're kind of shocking. Maybe in the summer guys get into it, and maybe 10, 20 years ago you would see it more often. Uh, But I've never really been on a team where guys are doing it all the time. I've never actually seen any guys do it during the season or anything like that. Uh, One guy said, I don't think there's a problem compared to the problem outside the NHL. It's probably the same. Uh, one guy said, honestly, I've been lucky. I've never been on teams where it is. I've heard I've heard of some teams, though, where they're going to go to party and they have a day off the next day and they will have some. So that's a bit interesting where mm-hmm. he says, I've never been a part of it, but I've heard of these other guys that, mm-hmm. you know, they go party and they do it mm-hmm. and they'll have some. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. It wasn't Kuznetsov's uh, yeah. cocaine. It was somebody else's. Yeah, and uh, and then the last one was uh, no. I think the majority of players are way too conscious of what we put on our bodies these days. Guys don't even drink that much anymore. You have a glass of two or wine at dinner or beer on the plane, and uh, guys don't get much into that. Which obviously I don't think is necessarily true. And I don't think if you ask a player if there's a cocaine problem and he does cocaine, he's going to say, "Yeah, there's a problem." Oh yeah, you want to see my stash? All right, uh, game number game question number seven, and then oh they just they, they went hard on the drug question. They're like, yeah, we're gonna go back to being light here. Which road city do you dread the most? Anywhere where it's crappy to play. Yeah, um, if, I would if, say if, uh, anywhere here, it's cold. Bread. Yeah, yeah. If Pat Pat was here, he'd be ripping Toronto. bread because four of the of three of the four top cities are cities that at one point Pat has said Brett lives in. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Canadian, right? So, was it Winnipeg then? Um, or I, I think he lived in Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg was the number one answer. 42% <laughs> said they hate to play there. Buffalo was 34. 
So a lot of a lot of uh, that's a road city they dread the most. Edmonton was ten percent, Calgary was four, Ottawa was four, Carolina was four, Columbus was two. But the big ones were Winnipeg and Buffalo, and I guess Edmonton. And for the reason you think, Winnipeg is cold, it's dirty, you walk around the city, you feel like you need to wash your face after you go outside, is one of the answers the players had. Um, one of them said Winnipeg's just depressing, you don't even want to leave the hotel to get a cup of coffee. Uh, and again, one one guy said, I'm sure a lot of people said Winnipeg. Uh, one, and his answer for why he liked it was, he says, we're close to the, we're close to the casino. If you want to go for a half hour or whatever, wherever you go, you can get out to the casino. Uh, that is definitely Evander Kane. <laughs> <laughs> right. Stacks and stacks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the, the overwhelming answer is, uh, is Winnipeg and a couple guys did not like Buffalo and they didn't really give too many quotes from that. Other one guy just said, Buffalo is brutal. I don't think anyone looks forward, uh, to going to <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, second last question for the players. Do you have gritty fatigue? Yes or no question. They got answers for it. Um, Yes. Surprisingly, the players no, no. There's nope. Seventy-two percent said they don't have gritty to, gritty fatigue. Twenty-eight percent said yes. Everybody, they all seem to think it was hilarious. They like that the the NHL is trending in that direction. That it's not just super boring. A lot of guys were just saying their kids love it, so they do too. Yeah. Uh, and then one guy, the one quote they had for about people uh, getting it, they said it's too much. He's everywhere. I feel kind of bad for the other team's mascots. It's like everybody forgot about them. <laughs> And then one guy said, I'm surprised he's still getting so much attention, to be honest. thought it would wear out by now. I guess I don't really mind him. He's, like, not affecting me. It's just a lot. Both of those guys probably play for the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't think any of those players or the fans that are in there where Gritty's grabbing their phone and chucking it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question before we wrap the show here. The last question from their player poll. Do you have a Twitter burner account? They had a yes or no answer to this one. Oh, oh them. Um, probably, yeah, I would think. I think it's safer that way to have a burner account and then not have it linked to you. Yeah, and, and even even those polls. If they're younger. I think players yeah. would still tend to say no, even if they had one. But 32% yes, 68% said no. And uh, a lot of guys can say like they have burner accounts, but they just kind of use it to search things about themselves or follow different things that you know they don't want to follow on their personal account, like follow golf or get golf results for golf tournaments. What they said, one guy said he has one, but he never tweeted from it. Another guy just said he keeps up on the news and follows the media guys in his market to see what they're saying about him, but he never responds <laughs> to it. So yeah. Uh, and then, and then, like you would expect, a lot of guys saying, "I'm not a big social media guy. I don't even know what I would do yeah. with it." I one guy, which is probably Ryan Getzlaff, said, "I've never logged on to Twitter in my life." So yep. <laughs> I, you would exactly. expect that you would get a little. I'm sure because they're they're uh, the amount of the players they ask probably range in age. So again, I think you know if you're asking a bunch of guys over 30, a lot of them probably don't even have Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> let alone if they have Twitter, it's probably run by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then if you ask the younger guys, I'm sure some of them have it, like they said, just to kind of follow what other player, what other media guys are saying about them. Because if you're a player on social media and you have a personal account, you're likely not following all the media guys in your market and looking at what they say on your regular account, which kind of makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Like I said, uh, the if you're looking for Don Cherry Shock, that's coming on our rant show this weekend for Patreon. We're looking forward to digging into that, I think, all three of us on that show. Yeah, that'll that's be gonna, fun. That's, that's the big topic. 
around the NHL right now is the Don Cherry firing. I'm pretty amped up to talk about that. I feel like we're all on the same page, so somebody might have to play devil's advocate for that one. But okay. uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. We'll see. I, we don't even. I haven't really even gotten, I guess, your opinion or Pat's opinion on that situation. So that could be uh, an interesting topic for that one. So our regular show in terms of this one, we will be back on. Saturday or Sunday. Saturday or Sunday. Sunday is yeah. the scheduled show, but we try to get all three of us on it when we can. So we're still working out to see what date is the best for all three of us. And uh, we'll let you know on Twitter. So it'll be either Saturday yeah. or Sunday. It'll be at a time where you guys can catch the show a little bit easier. Uh, that's what we've been trying to do is throw it up a, a bit earlier than our post game, so you guys can come on. And we'll have a couple couple Ducks games to talk about as well as some NHL topics, hopefully, that we can uh, throw in there as well. Yeah, and then just a real quick reminder, on the 23rd, which is Saturday, the Ducks play Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay at 4 o'clock. We are having our first watch party of the season. Uh, it'll be at the new Lampost location in uh, West Yorba Linda. If you're familiar with the old one, it's the building next to it, <laughs> just a little south on Richfield, I believe, is the street name. So I'd uh, love to see everyone kind of come out. We'll probably be promoting it a lot more on social media in the upcoming days leading up. Uh, to not this Saturday, but next Saturday. All right. Well, make sure you guys get out to that. The last one we had, uh, I think the last one we had, I was there for. I think this is the first one of this year. So uh, Mm -hmm. the last one we had where there was a train that was just nonstop throughout the night, which was was interesting. And Eddie doesn't ever want to let anyone forget that. Yeah. (laughs) That was a big talking point from a lot of people that the train was there and it bothered them. Well, no uh, train here. Yeah. So I made it out to two this year. I won't be at this one, but Pat and Jason will be at this next one. And it's... uh, it's hopefully at the best venue we've had yet, which is what it seems yes, like. Yes, I've, so I've been yeah. to this one. This one is the best one. So yeah. especially for watching it, much bigger. Um, uh, uh, projection screen TV, TVs all over the place, You know, bar set up, everything's great. Yeah, and it's uh, shaped up to be a good game. Because, uh, I mean, Tampa yes. Bay, no matter their struggles this year, uh, that's going to be a fun game, I think, for the Ducks to play. <laughs> Uh, yep. Is that uh, is that an away game or a home game? Because I think it's a away game, right? Because it's a watch. It's party. The watch part. <laughs> well, you can you could. We don't have tickets okay. to the game. Okay, okay, Ed. Okay, Ed. <laughs> I don't go to enough of these. All right, so all right. <laughs> that's my excuse. Anyway, we'll we'll be back Saturday or Sunday. Just uh, stay tuned on Twitter, and we'll let you guys know. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. These days, we're all getting more screen time which means we're also getting more blue light exposure than ever before. Too much blue light can make your eyes feel tired, dry, or blurry. It can also affect your sleep. Zenni's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenni frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription Blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at zenni.com.